Wednesday, June 30th it is. It's a glorious afternoon in Salford here in the northwest of the UK. Hope it's nice where you are. Welcome to your Richie Allen radio show. Show even. Show, show, show. Two more terrific guests I've got lined up for you this afternoon. You can tweet the programme. As always, it's BBG Richie. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen radio show live from Salford in Greater Manchester. And you can drop me a message through the website too. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, I'll be chatting a little bit later on in the programme with Mark Morano from Climate Depot. He has been debating climate change scientists for many, many years, and he's very well known in the United States. He's a climate change sceptic. I like him. I came across him. He was on Tucker Carlson's Fox News programme about 10 days ago, and he talked about evidence that there are plans to introduce climate lockdowns to offset man-made climate change. That doesn't sound very good. We'll talk to Mark about that a little bit later on. Before that, my great friend Tony Gosling presenter of The Politics Show in Bristol, former BBC journalist. Tony will be on to chat about a few things, a few things. I need to drink a gallon of water. All right, so that's uh, Wednesday's programme. Lots of smiley faces around Salford this morning with England doing so well yesterday. Nice to see smiley faces, whatever the reason. Whatever the reason. Good for them. Interesting... Well, there's a lot of interesting things now to talk about today. So I'm going to quickly run through a few of them as quick as I can. Do check out a story on richieallen.co.uk. That would be the website of yours truly. And it's around the government. There is an imminent, apparently. The government will imminently say that it has shelved plans to use vaccine passports after July the 19th. Now, July the 19th has been dubbed Freedom Day, part two, part deux, right? Because we were supposed to be free on June 21st. You didn't believe it, neither did I. Now, the Daily Mail said today that it had been told by ministers, secretly, that COVID certification will not be required at mass gatherings when restrictions are lifted on July 19th, okay? Meaning that those attending festivals, concerts or sporting events will not be required to show proof that they've been jabbed or proof that they are immune. So I said today, that sounds good, doesn't it? And the mainstream light people on talk radio and elsewhere, the mainstream light people, the gatekeepers, they said this was fantastic. Freedom, they cried. Well, they're morons, aren't they? Because in the same article in the Mail, the Mail said that the government will announce that organisers will be permitted to run their own schemes. Ding, 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 ding. There's the alarm bell. Organisers can run their own schemes. The Premier League is expected to introduce a scheme around certification to bring people back to football in the autumn. So it's very likely, if you're a a fan of a Premier League football team, that you may very well be expected to prove that you're healthy. 
to get into a game this coming autumn. Now that's the kicker, right? Organisers running their own schemes, the private sector running the COVID certification, the government passing the book to the private sector. And I put forth a scenario on my website today, which you may or may not agree with. And that's good, but have a look at it on richieallen.co.uk. A scenario about what might happen this coming winter. Right, so the government in the meantime will say, listen, we're not imposing mandatory COVID certification and you'll get some ministers, you'll get some politicians, Tories, Conservatives, saying, you know, we don't do that sort of thing in England, civil liberties and all of that. We're not that sort of country, they might say, in the coming weeks. And everything will look on the up and up in the summer. But what happens when we get to October, November? And those who have had one of these dodgy jabs, people start to get ill. Some people, some, not all, but some will die. Maybe they'll blame it on new variants, maybe. They'll also tell us that the flu has come back out of retirement. So we've got a double whammy. Then they'll say some other virus, maybe, a triple whammy. Oh God, what are we going to do? We need to introduce new restrictions. At that point, the hospitality business, the entertainment business, they might scream bloody murder and say, oh my God, our businesses are screwed already. If we close down again, we'll never come back. You can't do this to us. Maybe the compromise will be COVID certification documentation. The government has already planned for this. It's already been discussed at cabinet level. What will we do in the winter if we are worried about the NHS being overrun? But we also can't close down everything. We'd like to, but we can't. What will we do? The answer is vaccine passports. Five and a half, six minutes past the hour. That is my bit of soothsaying. I'm a soothsayer. Not very good at it ordinarily. I get one or two things right. But that's how I see it playing out in the coming weeks. Things might look on the up and up late July, all of August maybe. But hold on to your socks. Wait till we get to October, November. Interesting story in the press today about insects appearing on menus in Portugal. We've had people on the programme, haven't we, talking about the Great Reset People talking about climate change, talking about how they will try and change our diets in the next 10, 15 years. Insects going to be on the menu in Portugal, including the darkling beetle, locusts, mealworms, the house cricket, which is known as Acheta domesticus, and the western honeybee. What are they doing with honeybees? Leave the bees alone. Bee colonies are collapsing all over the world in any case. We know why. Because of exposure to aluminium. Where's it coming from? Look up. Yeah, absolutely. B dementia. So that's right. Portugal, we might get into that with somebody from Portugal in the next few days. Now, Channel 5. A number of you noticed this earlier today. There's a programme on UK television, Channel 5, which is presented by Jeremy Vine. It's a magazine programme, current affairs in the mornings. They have Bev Turner on and Nina Mishkoff on from time to time. Bev Turner is a talking head. Nina Mishkoff is an 80s TV celebrity. And this morning they had been discussing whether the jabbed should avoid the unjabbed. Okay, The idea being that even if you're jabbed, 
the unjabbed represent a danger to you. After taking calls from listeners, Nina Mishkov, the 80s television personality, asked Beverly Turner, the talking head, had she been jabbed? Had she been jabbed indeed? Okay. Can I ask you, Beverly, have you had the Pfizer or the Oxford AstraZeneca? Are we honestly... I'm sitting here within feet of you. I have a right to know. You have no right to know. You ha- I have a right to know. You, we do not. We have something in this country called medical confidentiality and medical privacy. You have absolutely no right to know anything about my medical history. I do, you because do it does affect me. It, it affects people you come into contact with. Yes, it, it does. It does not. It does. Based on what... what Beverly has the right to refuse to say. She has a right to refuse to The fact that she's refusing to say means to me that she hasn't had it. I just can't believe what this country's turned into. It's so that sad. That my point. But it, no, Nina, that proves what my it point. proves to me is you don't understand anything about the science of this spike well, and, and you do, and your scientific degree entitles you to? I just... You have a scientific degree, you have a medical degree, you're an epidemiologist, you're a virologist. Any of these things? Any degrees that you're... Show me a bit of paper that you are qualified. Is it, Nina, you've had the vaccine. Surely that's enough isn't it? Because, because that protects you. I've had the vaccine. Storm's had it. That protects us against unvaccinated people who may be spreading it. Yes? Do you understand Just, about asymptomatic transmission? So what do, what do you think? Of you, course do you think I you know. I have mean, a force course. field around you. Like, what, what, how do you think this vaccine works? Explain to me the science. Well, hang on, we haven't got time for... Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. That, hang sorry. on a minute. You, know, you don't have to berate me and, 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 and sort of... <laughs> No, say. You don't have to berate me, said the woman who said, it's my right to know whether you've been jabbed or not. <laughs> no, say, you know, uh, you don't understand. Listen, a vaccine, two doses of the vaccine, protects me to a certain extent, it to a percentage. you. It protects you. You summed it, it up. Also, it they've also, they've well, also it, discovered that it, the um, transmission... Is lessened. Why? Because it ameliorates your symptoms. No, no, it's not just that. But the, 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 the transmission is reduced. Because you have a anyway. reduced transmission. It's not just because you're you coughing less. Yeah, yeah, they went on and on and on in the same vein. But then the subject turned to the anti parasitic drug ivermectin. We would all love to see zero COVID deaths. Believe me, I would like to start talking about something other than this on a daily basis. It's a Beverly Turner now going to talk about ivermectin. <laughs> There is a drug called ivermectin, which is readily available. It is cheap. It is not patented. It has been proven in various countries around the world. There is an amazing intensive care doctor in America who has used it and has been talking about it. And the YouTube guidelines are you cannot talk about ivermectin. Because at the moment we have the the, vaccine. Well, it's not being trialled, yeah. Is that right, by the way? If you discuss ivermectin on YouTube and you happen to have you know, a significant amount of subscribers, is it likely that the video will be deleted? Is it likely the video being deleted will lead to your channel being suspended? I don't know. I'm asking. I'm guessing it must be the case. I've not used YouTube since before Christmas because they they gave me a couple of strikes. My second YouTube channel, my second one, by the way, they deleted my original channel. They, they basically put two strikes on me and said they were going to delete the channel. So I just haven't uploaded for over six months. Is that right? If you talk about ivermectin, it's suspended by YouTube anyway. It, on COVID. It, ha- it has, been, of course, no. it's been trialled. It has been trialled. It has been trialled. And European the medicine, medicine, medicine agency says not to use it outside medical trials. 
Why do you think that is? Because it's not going to make anybody any money. And even Merck, who make ivermectin, came out and said, we do not know. And the, Dr. Tesslory in this country... And a cure for COVID, is it? It has had the most phenomenal success rate. Dr. Pierre Corey in America, intensive care doctor, he has been using it. In America, some of the doctors are free to use it because they're not hamstrung by the same this is, ridiculous regulation. Isn't this just... And he's just said, look, we could cure this across the world in no. a month. Then why? We come on, come on. Wait, I, I, I need promise you, just look well, into it. Look into it. The FDA... Yes, it is. The FDA... Wait, in the USA, the FDA say taking large doses of this drug is dangerous and can cause serious harm because it's not licensed for COVID. It has we kind of have to go with the, that, don't we? Uh, it, it is a drug which has been readily available since the 90s, for 40 years. It has cured river blindness. It's an antiparasitic. The side effects are almost zero. The guy that invented it won the Nobel Prize for Science. But that does not And that there helps. is Does censorship. There is censorship on the use Nina. of this drug. You're, you're sounding like Please. Donald Trump. You know, let's inject ourselves Just with Just look bleach. into it. There's the ad hominem attack that you get on the mainstream media. Mishkov said to Beverly Turner, who's telling the truth. She's telling the truth that a lot of doctors have used ivermectin and they believe it to be very effective and also very cost effective. So Nina Mishkov comes back with, you're sounding like Donald Trump. Next thing you'll be telling us to drink bleach. But Donald Trump never told anybody to drink bleach, funnily enough, or anything like it. That's the ad hominem stuff you get. That's how they drag you down, you see, to their level. They can't deal with what you're saying and they can't engage you on the points you're making. So they say something ridiculous like, you're sounding like Donald Trump. Just look into it. Do me a favour, oh, look into come on, it. You know. Beverly Turner saying, just, just look into it. Look it up. Have a look yourself. There is a doctor called Tess Laurie who's been on this programme, incidentally. And there are others who believe it's effective. Have a look into it. And, well, the response is typical. Do you think, seriously think, that if there was a cure for COVID that simple, that the World Health Organization or why, whoever... Why is the YouTube guidelines say you cannot... You mentioned and, 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 so, we will take so, down so your So this videos. is medicine why? by YouTube, for heaven's it sake. Is. You know, this is... This is but, but it's not medicine by YouTube or by Google. Google is suppressing any discussion around alternative treatments for whatever COVID-19 is. Ironically, it's not medicine by YouTube. It's censorship by YouTube. This is loony it's, it's time. Un, un, I mean, time, she says. Right. Well, maybe, maybe someone you know, will trial it properly and we'll find Oxford out Oxford University works. have started a trial now, but they're only doing it on the over 65s. It's a okay. trial designed to fail. We'll, oh, all right. Oh, well, so over 65s aren't, you know, uh, worth saving then? No, she didn't say that. She said they're trialling it on over 65s, but the trial is designed to fail. Back comes the ad hominem. Also, you're saying then that the over 65s aren't worth saving, you see? Then, no, they're introducing it three weeks after you've developed symptoms. It needs to be used really late. early on. OK, right. That's right, they are introducing it. Three weeks after an over 65 person is diagnosed with having whatever, COVID or whatever... It's at that point they'll be given iver ivermectin, which it's believed it's too late. That's the media. Quarter past five, or just after quarter past five this Wednesday. Let's move swiftly on because, be jeepers, I've loads to tell you. Uh, listen, listen to this. This is interesting. Nicholas Spurrier, or Spurrier, Spurrier, or Spurrier, Bouquet, or Bucket. Right? Nicholas Spurrier is the Chief Public Health Officer at South Australia Health. The Aussies are locked down again for no reason. That's not conjecture. 
That's the truth for no reason. And seemingly, government health advisors in Australia are saying that restrictions will have to remain in place until at least 80% of the Australian population is jabbed, which is obviously insane. So at a press briefing earlier today, a journalist challenged Nicola Spurrier, the Chief Public Health Officer at South Australia Health. It didn't go down too well with Nicholas Spurrier, I don't mind telling you. So, Professor, on vaccinations, you seem to endorse the 80% adult population threshold for reducing the COVID alarm that Gladys Berejiklian gave yesterday. Doesn't that seem unreasonably high, given that no country's got to that level? We may not ever get to that level. And also because of the very mild health threat the disease poses to anyone outside those vulnerable groups. Brilliant question. Isn't it crazy? health minister or health person, to be trying to vaccinate 80% of the population, nobody's sick really, and coronavirus doesn't have really any serious implications for the great majority of people. She doesn't like it. Look, I, I really I'm just find it quite surprising to be at a press conference and have somebody uh, suggest that there are very minor consequences to COVID-19. We still have many, many people dying around the world and we've also had four deaths here in Australia. What? What did she just say there? He, 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 he talks over her and he says, it, the, he says the vast majority of people don't get it and are unaffected by it. And she says this. Also had four deaths. Here. We've had four deaths. In Australia. In Australia. <laughs> Lock down the country. <laughs> Hide your grannies. My God. Retreat to the underground bunker. Start stocking up on tins of soup. Four people have died. Um, community transmission that's led to death in this country. Not been one community transmission that has led to a death in this country, says the journalist. He's right. All year. All year. I'm here, excuse me, I am here to provide information to the South Australian public, not to have an argument with you over... She's basically saying, I'm a propagandist. I'm here on behalf of the World Health Organisation. I'm here on behalf of Pfizer, of Merck, of Oxford AstraZeneca. I'm here, so just shut up and let me scare the living bejesus out of the nation so that they'll take this drug that they don't really need. How dare you do your job, journalist? Over a minor point. Thank you. The level at which we get country vaccination and reduce the alarm is not a minor point. Is 80% an unrealistically high level to reduce the threats of lockdowns and restrictions in this country? Thank you, Harvey. Thank you, Harvey. She moves on to another journalist. She refuses to engage him. Well done him. I have no idea who the journalist is, but a little bit more of that, and certainly some of it here in the UK wouldn't go astray. Can you imagine if I was given just one opportunity to attend a Downing Street briefing? And if I was given an opportunity to ask a question, wouldn't that be lovely? I think it would be lovely. Let's move swiftly on. Oxfam has defined whiteness as the overarching preservation of power and domination for the benefit of white people. Yes, Oxfam, the charity, has offered up a definition for the term whiteness. And Oxfam says it's the overarching preservation of power and domination for the benefit of white people. Where did this come about? Or how did it come about? Well, Oxfam did a survey on racial justice amongst its own staff. And Oxfam staff are, well, not to put too fine a point on it, they're pissed off. 
they circulated the survey to 1,800 Oxfam staff in Britain. 88% of them are white. And the survey describes racism as a power construct created by white nations for the benefit of white people. This is legitimate. The document says white privilege is a byproduct of a racist system. And it adds Oxfam does not recognise reverse racism. One question on the survey asked staff if they would describe themselves as non-racist, anti-racist or non-slash-neither. The document has angered some staff who said last night they found the language impenetrable, offensive and divisive. One employee of Oxfam said, why are they presuming their workers, who are working for a humanitarian charity, are racists and bigots? And another employee said, surely they could spend better time and money on the real findings that some of the men employed by Oxfam are sexual predators. Yes, indeed. We know that to be true, don't we? So GB News spoke to Dr. Remy Adekoy. He lectures in politics at York University and he seems to be a pretty sensible man. This is his response to the Oxfam survey. What is happening right now reminds me a little bit of what happened after the 9-11 attacks in America. So every once in a while, there's a cataclysmic event which occurs, which induces a moral panic around the world. 9-11 was such an event. And after 9-11, there was essentially a trend towards almost synonymizing Muslimness with fundamentalism and terrorism. And essentially, every Muslim became a potential terrorist. And a lot of moral pressure was applied on Muslim communities, you know, that they have to root out terrorism within them, even Muslims who had absolutely nothing to do with terrorism. The George Floyd, uh, the horrible murder of George Floyd in America last year was such a cataclysmic event. And what that has induced is a moral panic, which have, which is now causing some extremist elements of the anti-racism movement to synonymize whiteness with racism and with oppression. And again, a lot of moral pressure has been applied on white people now saying, oh, you have to root out racism. You have to do something about racism. Even white people who have absolutely, you know, are not racist simply in their everyday in their everyday lives. And so it's a similar kind of mechanism here. You know, it's a moral panic and a lot of moral pressure being applied. And there's, of course, also an element of self-hate, it seems, among um, quite a lot of um, uh, white progressives, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of white self-flagellation going on at the moment. And at the end of the day, this doesn't really help anybody. There's almost 500 million Africans living in extreme poverty today. And that's who Oxfam should be focusing on and not, you know, on, on delivering a moral lectures um, uh, to, you know, to, to accusing every, every white person of racism. Good man. Good man indeed. And as one of the Oxfam employees said, they might do better or spend some of their time rooting out why so many of their employees go to commit crimes, sexual crimes against children and women in some of the areas they are deployed, disaster zone areas where humanitarian aid is needed. That might be a good thing to do. Yes, indeed. Everybody's going with this story today. The Methodist Church has become the largest religious denomination in Britain to permit same-sex marriage. A vote to change the definition of marriage at the Methodist Conference on Wednesday, that's today, overwhelmingly passed by 254 in favour with 46 against. I'm reading from the BBC website, I should tell you that. Freedom of conscience clauses mean ministers will not be forced to conduct such weddings if they oppose the move. So you won't be forced to if you're a Methodist minister. 
Um, but it sounds like they won't need to force anybody. It seems like most Methodists are in favour of it. Same-sex marriage is not allowed in the Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church. You probably know that already. The Methodist Church, then, is they're going to have to teach their choirs some new hymns, eh? <laughs> Yeah, they're going to have to teach them some new hymns. It is 24 minutes past five. This is your Richie Allen radio show broadcasting live from Super Salford with me, the BBG, behind the mic, Tony Gosling, live from Bristol. Tony will be with me in about two or three minutes' time. Taking us there is this from Joan Jett. And this is I Love Rock and Roll. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, I Love Rock and Roll, 27 minutes past five. Let's welcome back to the programme without further ado. Great friend of mine, we've been chatting on radio, well, about 12 years now, I reckon. Uh, the, the Politics Show from Bristol every Friday is a fantastic listen, you can't miss it. Thisweek.org.uk, former BBC journalist, welcome back, Tony Gosling. Welcome back, T. Hi, Richie. <laughs> Good good to have you. A lot to get into, and we're going to get into some of the things that you've been talking about today. But before that, I, I just wanted to start off with Ivermectin. It's in the news today. A couple of uh, the, the countries, a couple of the UK's television news analysis programmes, Jeremy Vine amongst others, talking about Ivermectin and the fact that it's going to be trialled here by Oxford University, but only on people over 65. And seemingly, Tony, only three weeks after an over 65 person has been diagnosed with, with COVID. So it seems that, the, as Beverly Turner said today, that the ivermectin trial T might be being set up to fail. What do you think? Well, it depends who's controlling these trials. <clears throat> this is what Tess Laurie, who I've been talking to fairly regularly... And you were talking to me until you just disappeared there. Let's hang up and reconnect and hopefully he comes back. I'm telling you, Mercury is in retrograde, people. I say that with a smirk on my face a mile wide, by the way, because I know nothing about the stars or the alignments or any of that stuff at all. I used to read Russell Watsy's face in the mirror years ago. T, you're back. Yeah. We, we dropped out momentarily. You said, um, yeah. you, you mentioned Tess Laurie there, who you've been speaking to uh, quite regularly. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So she, what she's pointed out, it should be obvious to everybody, but it doesn't seem to have actually, the penny hasn't dropped with anybody in the mainstream media at all, is that whoever pays for the trials gets to determine the outcome, really. Uh, unless it's all transparent, um, That that's just the case. So whoever's conducting this trial is likely to determine the outcome. Now, I mean, I happen to know, because we got hold of some ivermectin here in Bristol, that there's probably about uh, 30 or 40 elderly gentlemen, mostly uh, mostly West Indians, around St Paul's, who've got a little ivermectin pill in their top pocket. Because they know that if they were to get COVID now, at this late stage and everything, that uh, this is this is a or even a flu. It doesn't matter if it's COVID or a flu. This stuff's good for everything. You pop a little pill, and within thirty minutes, you know your symptoms are gone. It's much much better if you can use this at the very very start. You know, whenever you get a cold or flu, I don't know about you, but I always feel oh, you know, you get this kind of wave across your body. It's like oh, crikey, I can feel you know, I've got a yeah, flu you coming. Know, on, yeah. You know, when you get that feeling. Get your little ivermectin pill out your top pocket, pop it in, maybe uh, have a glass of orange with it or something, 
And, uh, you know, certainly from what I've seen, and it's very similar with uh, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, but not quite so powerful, uh, that the, the, your symptoms will go. Because what this stuff does is it, it stops the replication of the virus. I'm not going to go into how because it's a quite complicated, but it just enables your body to get enough going over the space of the next day where this is having its effect, your body starts to go, oh, all right, we've got something nasty in here. And it trains, it's training itself to find it and kill it off before it starts, you know, you get millions of these things in your cells, you know, uh, yeah, multiply yeah. all over your body. So it's the stuff, it's the stuff. And it has been for, for decades for doing this kind of thing. But, you know, it's just, it's as the pharmaceutical industry always works, it's about profit. So the, Merck originally had the patent on ivermectin. And, you know, this is the massive uh, pharmaceutical company, uh, which, oh gosh, her name escapes me. The lady, uh, Brandy Vaughan over Brandy in the States. Brandy Vaughan, yeah, I know. But well, I knew Brandy, God rest her, I knew Brandy Vaughan. Yeah, she was, so she was almost certainly murdered by her own industry, you know. But uh, the, the, but Merck had the patent uh, to this, and they realised that, oh, the only people that are really going to be buying this around the world uh, that we can sell it to are poor people, and so we can't make enough profit on it to make it worthwhile. So they they gave away the patent. Yeah, they, just they disowned the it. They disowned yep. their own drug. I, I've got to jump in there. Where's the evidence that Brandy Vaughan was murdered? Remind me, how did she die, Tony? You've seen her video. She goes around her house. She's saying, it looks like someone is, you know, is threatening me. Um, and if something happens to me in the next few weeks, you'll know this is what it is. And then yeah. suddenly her, she was found dead. Yeah. So I think, you know, you don't need a lot more evidence than that. Of course, the police then said there's no suspicious circumstances. So when the police are compromised, as of course they are in many countries, you know, traditionally it was uh, in, over in the third world, in banana republics of various sorts, that the police we knew were... Uh, working with the organised crime, but once organised crime gets its its talons into the police, uh, you know, at a, at a at a reasonable level, usually the CID detective level, and then throughout the force, they know that they can commit crimes with impunity in that area, and they can press a little button or m make a phone call, and it won't be investigated. That's where we were. We are in definitely in the states. I mean, Chicago is one of the worst places, and people like Seymour Hirsch have written all about that. You know, the way that the police That's was right. working very, very closely in Chicago with your Al Capones and various other people. And, and up to the modern, the present day, the police was organised crime. So if it was a minor crime, the police might investigate. But anything major, the, the police would, well, even if they started to investigate it, they would stop. So that's, I think, why Brandy Vaughan's uh, murder wasn't properly investigated because totally... whoever did it uh, has got lines into the uh, criminal justice system. They could just press a button and stop the investigation just like that. It's a it's a good time for me to very briefly remind my listeners of something I think I've told them about three times in the last nine, ten years. We knew a gentleman, and he was a gentleman, uh, in Spain years ago, who was involved in Angola in the 1970s. He, he was a mercenary. Um, to his shame, but um, he, he saw, he, he redeemed himself. He saw uh, the light. Lovely man, very, very, very talented man. And he said to me one evening, um, and, and, and I knew he was telling the truth, he said, Richie, there are a lot of ex-soldiers who work in the, in the gun-for-hire business, basically in the assassin business. And he said, you would be surprised 
if I told you that most of the work they get, it comes from corporations, major corporations, including Silicon Valley, he said, but also including pharmaceutical companies. These companies, he was convinced of it and he wasn't into programmes like yours. He wasn't interested in programmes like mine. He said, when guys who used to work for the military, who are now in business for themselves, when they get a, a contract, it's usually a corporation wanting to get rid of somebody, an employee or somebody like that. And um, I have no reason to doubt him. And I, I challenged you on Brandy Vaughan, even though I knew the answer, because listeners will be like, come on. But yeah, she said, look, I'm expecting, I'm being stalked, I'm being followed. And uh, if I die, you'll know that something was, was, was very wrong. We could talk John McAfee, but we won't. I wanted to ask you this, because we've loads to get through between now and six o'clock. I wanted to ask you this, that the UK government is expected to announce in the coming days Fear not, little children. After July 19th, we won't expect you to have a vaccine passport to go to a concert or to go to a festival. Don't worry about that. We're not going to recommend it. Um, I think they're lying. I think they're going to pass the book. They are passing the book to the private sector. They're going to get the private sector to do this in the winter. That's what I think. What do you think? And he's gone again. It's very oh. mysterious. Oh, you're back, you're Hello. back. Bugger, you're Hello. back. You're back, you're back, you're back in the room. Uh, yeah, so um, actually, I'd, I think I've muted myself there. Sorry, Richie. But look, the um, uh, what's going to happen July 19th of July? I think things will really start to relax. But personally, my own view is that there's going to be another crisis that overlays COVID. That by that point, well, we'll see in a few weeks' time. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it, if we can have the end of July as all sorts. Because, of course, July is Great Reset Month. You know, there's going to be this sort of announcement about the plans for the Great Reset. The global economy is not working. Climate change is this biggest threat ever. Uh, even, you know, actually, it's really the real, real biggest threat is that people don't have jobs uh, that uh, they don't have jobs they enjoy doing or they want to do. Something like 75% of people would quit their job if they had the, the chance uh, to do it. Uh, that's a much bigger problem. We've also, of course, got you know the these horrific problems in the Middle East, in Yemen, places like that. The tension with the Palestinians, the Israelis, uh, you know, Afghanistan is about to uh, get worse because they're pulling the troops out of there and they shouldn't have gone in the first place. So there's all sorts of tensions out there which I think are more important than this climate stuff. But uh, that I think is going to you know maybe be used to uh, kick things forward. But look, you you're talking about these mercenaries. I don't want to before we get off that one right jill dando i interviewed jerry coulter uh, jerry was uh, offered the services of these mercenaries he was after some police who were freemasons who had um basically stolen his car and um because he was uh, challenging them in some other way and the the these mercenaries that offered uh, Jerry flew over to, to meet them, flew out to Eastern Europe to meet them. And they said, oh, yeah, well, we killed Jill Dando. And uh, by the way, they gave the exact details of the weapon that was used, correct details of the weapon that was used. And they were ex-Russian mercenaries. Remind our and listeners who Jill Dando is, T. Uh, we assume knowledge all the time, you and me, but a lot of people won't know who she is. Who is she? Who was she? Well, she was a presenter of, uh, I think it was, wasn't it called Crime Watch? She yeah. was uh, on the TV doing... 
uh, TV shows on the BBC uh, probably once a month or maybe they would do a series through a week. But on the Crime Watch programme, she would be there saying, look, this is going on. It's criminal. And she they would give evidence. They go into cases. They sit down with the police and they would go into a specific case where the police thought with a bit of good publicity, we can we can uh, clear this crime up. We can get this whoever it is behind bars. We can find out who they are, etc. So Crime Watch would do that. Uh, was it Nick Ross as well? I think was on it. Nick Ross. Anyway, yeah. so that that's that's the that they they said it was us that killed Dando. Well, that's uh, that's Jerry. It was in the Express, and you can still find it on the Express website. Um, and he, uh, having interviewed him, I I was really convinced. Look, this guy actually did meet the people that killed her, and they were ex, as I say, ex Russian mercenaries. That was in two thousand she was killed. So of course the decade between nineteen ninety and two thousand was the Yeltsin era. There was a whole load of gangsterism going on because their economy was in Russia, which is always, and it's happened here, obviously, during the COVID, you know, as people have got no income. So they, they're forced into the hands of organized crime. They were a big time in Russia in that in that period. But the main point really to make is that why was it that Jill was targeted? Well, I've heard from within the BBC that she had taken a list of all the paedophiles within the BBC to the uh, chief constable. I think it was, uh, gosh, the chief constable, Paul Condon at the time, because she'd been getting nowhere with her programme producers in getting this stuff about paedophiles out there. And so she'd taken it to the chief constable of the Met, this list of names, uh, on the, which were several of the people on the um, Elm Guest House. Has, Condon, has Condon never acknowledged receiving anything from Jill Daniel? Never acknowledged anything about it, no. And she was uh, murdered a few weeks after or months or a couple of months afterwards. So that's, you know, that's my... When you're talking about this uh, use of mercenaries to assassinate people, that I think is a key one in Britain to understand. And I'm not saying I've, you know, I haven't done enough investigation into it to know for sure, but that's certainly where all the evidence was pointing. I mean, spoken to Jerry, yeah. also uh, oh gosh, I can't remember. There was also a terrific journalist that did a brilliant, brilliant look at Jill's case. He went round to see. You know, it was the miscarriage of justice. The guy that was put in prison as a fall guy, uh, horrendously. You know, the, it's disgusting to see the way that someone is jailed uh, who is maybe a little bit mentally subnormal or something in order to say, oh, we've got the criminal. Now you can forget about it. Well, of course, he was. He is it Barry George? I think it is. Barry isn't it? George, well done to you. I was racking yeah. my brains. Well done, Barry George. That's the man. Yeah. Anyway, so that, so so I just thought, you know, if we were talking about mercenaries, can't get, go past without mentioning poor old Jill. No, you can't. And my contacts, and I've made a few over the years through the radio shows in Spain and, and elsewhere, they've told me, and again, I believe them, they've no reason to tell me for, for, for you know, for, for, as we say, for shits and giggles, they told me because they believe it, that it's not uncommon for a plane to be brought down to kill a single person on board. Or, or maybe a couple of people travelling together. There's, yeah, there's like no Lockerbie, limits to what Lockerbie, they'll do. Lockerbie, for example. Lockerbie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a prime <laughs> anyway, example. We shouldn't laugh, but no, that's, I think, you know, that was a, a team of investigators from the Drug Enforcement Agency heading back to the US, having been investigating the CIA, doing heroin dealing in the Middle East, and, oh dear, they never made it. Pick Bota, who was the uh, was he the president of or prime minister of South Africa, was due to be on the plane. He got warned off. Various people got warned got off. Don't warned get off. on Pan Am flight one hundred three. Well, we know we know there were we know there were well we could say I won't say legions of people, but many people were told to stay away from downtown Manhattan 
on September 11th, weren't they? We know that to be uh, true as well. Tony Gosling is our guest. It's 19 minutes to 6 o'clock. The Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford. Lots to get through with Tony between now and the top of the hour. Um, you're talking a lot about... Uh, the programme is brilliant, by the way, uh, and, and I don't say that because for, for any other reason that I mean it, Tony's programme is outstanding. Every Friday, uh, the politics show, Bristol. Uh, check it out. Five o'clock, T? Yeah, it's too long, though. Four hours. It's brilliant, T. Well, you have to, but you're only doing one a week, you lazy baxter. You're only well, going to do right. one without I mean, four hours. What I'm trying to do, basically, Richie, is to cram in uh, Radio 4 and the World Service into four hours a week yeah. that's worth listening to, <laughs> rather than whatever it is, however many hundreds of hours that they churn out that isn't. That's lies. Absolutely right. Now, the vaccines are killing more people than they're helping, you believe, these COVID jabs. <laughs> Well, certainly the indications are now we've I because mean, we're, we're way, was it January, February, March, April, May, June, five months into the programme. There's enough um, adverse reactions to this, uh, at least according to Dr. Tess Laurie uh, here in Bath. Uh, to say, well, look, we've got it. And she, of course, as you may know, she has sent a letter in uh, to the Department for Health, to the Prime Minister and to SAGE saying it's time to to stop the rollout of the vaccine because the it's the evidence is indicating that it's killing the vaccine is going to kill more people than it cures now this is reminiscent actually of the flu vaccine because that's the way it certainly looked in 2018 the highest ever uptake of the flu vaccine and the highest number of deaths from the flu, flu in 2018 Do you remember that <clears throat> so, yeah. so um uh i mean i, I wouldn't say it again as definitive but i would say the indications are scientific rather than the propaganda indications are number one that sage and and the friends uh, of sage the uh, nerve tank people etc are totally invested in the big pharma version of all of this the big pharma lobby the profit making lobby the vaccine selling uh, machine actually the Actual results from real scientists who are independent of all that are saying, pause this vaccine rollout immediately. Let's take stock of how many people have died, how many people have had adverse reactions. A lot of the doctors, by the way, have not been reporting adverse reactions. So people emailing their doctors, whatever, contacting the surgery, saying, oh, I've had a bad reaction for a few days. Obviously, if they die, they may not even do that. They might just die. There may be no feedback to the doctor. Who knows? Well, I suppose the doctor would know eventually, but how would they necessarily connect it? to the vaccine there's also attempts to say oh it's nothing to do with the vaccine well hang on you need to have evidence for that if if someone's died i mean in my own family uh my aunt has died uh within three uh, months of i mean she was uh, in her mid 80s uh she was in reasonably good health um she had the jabs she had the two jabs she had the jabs she had the jabs um three months later she's not with us anymore now it may be pure coincidence but you know the the fact of the matter is okay so her her disability i won't go into it too much richie but she was disabled basically uh, unable to walk she was wheelchair bound but her mental faculties were 100 percent, and she had a fantastic relation to, to the other people who were in the care home with her with her um and one of the most appalling things of all of that was that my cousin called when she was taken to hospital called the hospital and they were saying oh she's had a heart attack he said oh i'm going to come down he said no you're not allowed to come down to the hospital right 15 minutes later they called him back to say sorry she's dead i don't know if you know this but jackie devi who's a terrific journalist has been looking into something for the last nine ten months whereby 
seniors are given midazolam and opioid painkillers in hospital that they don't need to expedite their departure, T. Well, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying no, is... I know you're not uh, saying my, that, and I feel bad okay. to even bring it up. I know you're not saying that, and I feel a bit yeah. embarrassed bringing it up because it's your aunt, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful. But evidence is emerging, Tony, that, that, that these things are going yeah, on. She, yeah, she was on ITV back in, I think it was February, on the main news. Oh, you know, care home, um, people having... And she was saying, oh, gosh, I'm so worried about the, um, you know, uh, the, the threats from COVID that I feel relieved now to have had the vaccine. There she was on ITV, you know, yeah. filmed for everyone to see. Amazing. I, did, I, I was quite surprised to see my own auntie popping up on the telly uh, because she was petrified about this uh, whole whole business. Um, and of course, you know, I do what I can within the family to say, look, I think, but you know, think twice about having vaccines, things like, you know, they may may not be as safe. It's a human experiment, this sort of thing. Um, but you know, I, I was just disgusted that uh, my cousin, and he was pretty appalled as well, that you know, his first reaction, she's taken to hospital, is to go and see how she is, and he's told, no, you're not coming in. You don't don't bother even coming to the hospital. And then they said she uh, passed you know, away. It's it's pretty choking stuff, isn't it? And we, you know, we went to the funeral last week, and it's it, you know, uh, and you know, actually chatting to the family about it, um, you know, it, it, it's when it comes so close to you, uh, it's very difficult not to say something. To you know, it, yeah, you have to be sensitive. Obviously, bringing these, these sorts yeah. of things up. But uh, anyway, look, I mean, I don't want to go about too much about it, but this is just one example, and it's quite close to me, where I'm, you know, I'm I'm very not with anything else it's just the way that, that people are being dealt with by hospital staff how dare they how dare they say you can't sit, come and see your dying mother how dare they it's disgusting it's a it's a violation of your aunt's human rights and her children's human rights there's no other way to put that and we've heard so many I know you've heard before your aunt passed away God love her I know you put your finger on the pulse you would have heard from a lot of people who have been treated similarly over the last 15 months. It's disgusting. Where's the, where's the humanity gone from, from medical practitioners? Well, I think it's been been leached out for quite a while, actually. Uh, I mean, you know, we've seen a general drop in moral standards. People were more worried about, I mean, part of this is the fact that, you know, it can be quite very, quite difficult to get a job. If you lose your career, use your, lose a particular job, getting another one through things like blacklisting becomes really difficult. And they've made that very clear in the health service. If you're booted out of a job in one part of the health service, you, then, you know, you'll find it almost impossible to get a job anywhere else. Uh, so this is it. It's fear. It's the use of fear. Fear, fear, fear. And actually, fear is the devil's most powerful weapon. This is the thing that they can use to get you to do almost anything. Tony Gosling is there. I'm sorry to hear that, T. Genuinely, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. It sounded like your aunt had a good life and a good innings, but, you know, I, I just wish that more senior women and senior men like your aunt, who, who obviously have a bit of experience, have a bit of nous, a bit of intelligence about them, why wouldn't they trust their own immune systems? Why wouldn't they say, listen, thanks for offering the jab there, Sonny, but my immune system has gotten me so far, but you've given the answer. Yeah, but they're trusting, the the yeah. they're trusting the doctors. They're trusting the doctors, and the doctors are just repeating the fear. I'm afraid they've been scared, mate. Yeah, and, and and I've seen it in my in my own extended family and in the family of my friends as well. You know, you know, they've been scared witless. Uh, this week.org.uk, the politics show. Tony Gosling is our guest. By the way, it's very big of you uh, to say. Look, it might be a coincidence. 
uh, and that's why I have you on, mate. It's why I've been having you on my programs for years. There's no bullshit with you. You tell the truth. What's going on, T, with coal and the government's announcement that yeah. we won't be using coal for much longer to fire? Uh, I mean, coal is only only makes up a very small percentage of the fuel used to generate electricity anyway. But they're saying it's going to be phased out completely in the next few years, in the next couple of years. What's going on with that, Tony? Well, I think until a few years ago, it was something like 40% of our electricity was generated by coal. Coal is by far our biggest energy resource that we happen to have in Britain. Loads of it in, in South Wales, some of the best coal in the world. Uh, you know, I can remember the 1970s and the 1980s. I'm sure, well, I'm not sure you can, Richie, but the fight we had to try and keep the coal industry. In fact, the whole of the uh, left in Britain, in, including even some of the right who had a bit of a conscience, were there saying, well, we can't just shut down this entire industry, the coal industry, because they were saying, oh, there was nothing about, oh, climate change. I think they talked a bit about acid rain and things like that but you know the 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 whole point was we're going to shut this industry down because we can import it from abroad much cheaper which is a you know is one argument you can use but uh you know there was a massive battle there over the rights and wrongs of coal and the coal miners etc and now it's almost as if we've forgotten all that we've forgotten arthur scargill and all the rest of that and we're now most people in the country seem to be enthusiastic about every coal mine that shuts. And the idea that you might open a new one is a, a terrible thing. And yet, at the same time, you know, to me, looking at it from, a, say, a, you know, uh, uh, a governmental strategic planner point of view, you've got to spread bet. You've got to have a few coal-fired power stations. Even if you decided that coal is, is terrible, you've got to have a few. Uh, at the moment, we're building this Hinkley Sea power station, a nuclear power station, which is costing £25 billion. And is that being built by the Chinese, Tony? China and France. China yeah. and France, right. So it's not even going to end up as a British thing. Yeah. And the, the energy from that is going to be costing several times more than any electricity from every, anywhere else. It's all going to be subsidised by uh, everybody else in the country that's buying electricity from everywhere else. They're all subsidising this nuclear station. And then there was last week, there was a week before last, I think actually it was, there was a nuclear leak in China of exactly the same type of reactor. And that was the only one in the world that's actually been switched on of this reactor. And within a year and a half of being switched on. That reactor has started. Uh, the, the French are saying you've got to shut it down. <laughs> so it's a brand new reactor. It's the same type they're building in Hinkley, and uh, so the the future for Hinkley looks very very bleak. bleak. Yeah. You know the idea that even when they switch it on after a short period of time, it's going to stop working. Uh, you know it is it is an absolute white elephant. It's the perfect example of something which is money has been poured into, like HS2 actually, massive amounts of money. It's contract fraud someone somewhere has put a contract under somebody's nose bribed them or stupefied them uh, or given them a love potion or something and then they've signed it up in government i think it was at uh, adonis wasn't it or lord adonis Lord for adonis, hs2 yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and um and that we're now everyone is paying the price it's a similar thing really with the electrification of the uh, you know overhead lines anybody that knows anything about this knows that this is just about the overhead line maintenance contracts in new zealand 
Zealand, they installed overhead lines on their railways. And after a few years, they realized this is a total waste of time because, you know, you need to maintain maintain them far, far more um, than the, just the tracks on their own. So the whole thing is a boondoggle. Someone's making a fortune out of it. And uh, anyway, so that's my beef on this is we. We should have a spread of all different types of energy. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We need to have a few coal-fired power stations. You know, uh, if you have a if you have a, um, a cloudy and a not very windy summer or winter or any time, like most winters are, obviously, then you're not going to have any power because the nuclear is is conking out, and the, all these guarantees about it being online in another five, ten years' time could be come to nothing at all. And I, I mean, I'm totally against nuclear power plants anyway. Because of obviously of because of Fukushima, because of I know Fukushima. Look, there are a lot of arguments about this, the conspiracy theories. I'm well aware of them. You know, the, the tsunami. I'm I know that, and, and the likelihood of that happening here not being very high. But but in general, if something goes tits up with a nuclear power plant, well, we're all might as well put our head between our legs and kiss our arses goodbye, Tony. So I'm happy well, to have coal-fired power stations. What do we have? Before we talk about your new book, by the way, what do we, uh, which I want to talk about, what sort of coal reserves does the UK have? It's hundreds of years, is it? Oh, I think so, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, it, okay, so they were, it was used for a long, long time, overused coal. I mean, I'm not just a, you know, some sort of big coal no, mega fan, that, yeah. whatever, you know. So we had all the smogs, the the famous London fogs and all that sort of thing, because it was the only thing that, that, that was around, basically, until oil came along and, and those sorts of things. I'm not sure how long it would last, but what I'm saying is what we need to do, just, and everybody agrees on this, it's just it's not allowed to be really mentioned, except by somebody like Prince Charles, maybe, it is that we need to reduce reduce our use of energy stop traveling so far we need to open up those old railway lines close the motorways make the make the you know the the train fares more sensible i mean it's absolutely insane i was looking at uh, traveling traveling up to scotland recently 250 pounds return you know how much could you uh, that's just for one person that's Branson, going on right? a normal train Virgin, up yeah. to Scotland and back from Bristol I mean you know this is absolutely insane no wonder these trains are half empty and it needs to be re-nationalised it needs to be run in a transparent fashion where anybody can go along to a uh, you know a railway board meeting whatever rather than them all being held behind closed doors what they've done now is they've got the track they've got the uh, infrastructure like the actual trains themselves they've got everything is a lay another layer of racketeers taking their cut out of it and they're not providing the you know it's like housing all this stuff needs to be provided at cost uh so you know and i'd like to see more actually more new pits being being dug yeah uh, there's one i think up in cumbria that they're now putting the mockers on stupidly um, but let's let's carry on with this industry. You know, it's, it's the most plentiful supply of energy Britain's got. And we've got all the expertise. These retired people or people who were sacked by Thatcher uh, could be could be running it. Some of the best you know, engineering minds in the country. I agree let's with nearly all of that. I agree with nearly all of that, except the closed to motorways thing. I can't agree with that. I'm not having that. But that's an argument for another day. No chance. Before We've got five minutes now, so watch the clock. Um, Tony Gosling is our guest. The Politics Show, Bristol, terrific show. If you haven't checked it out, Fridays, thisweek.org.uk. Tell me, um, you've got a paperback coming out. 
Well, it's just out. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. I'm trying the moment. Okay, so it was. It's this all started during the Halloween lockdown. I thought it was such a piss take, Richie. I just went crazy because I've already been commissioned to write these three different books. Uh, two by an American publisher, one by a, uh, a Pen and Sword Books in Barnsley, and uh, the the. The, the one about the Battle of Arnhem and Martin Borman, they, they wrote back to me from Barnsley and, uh, and said, oh, no, we're not interested anymore. But anyway, the books were kind of half written. So I finished them off and I actually put them out as e-books in, in, under the Halloween lockdown. I thought it was such a piss take. Boris Johnson with the Halloween moon behind him yeah. saying, oh, we're going to have to have another model. And it was even left until the Saturday, which they never normally do. Um, and so I put those all out as e-books, but they're actually now out as paperback. The Traitors of Arnhem, which is the one about the uh, Bilderberg origins at the end of the Second World War, that was that. So that was out uh, last month, uh, uh, beginning of May. This one, this month, is called The Siege of Heaven Reader, and it is uh, it's really an anthology of a whole load of extracts from longer articles normally, but some of them is the whole paper or article about hidden government. I call it occult government. You could even <clears throat> even call it cult government, you know, the secret government, the parallel government, uh, really starting with the English Civil War and Oliver Cromwell and the beheading of the king, because the king in the English Civil War was actually a positive force before the war. What he was doing, he was limiting, he was trying to stop the uh, privatization the evictions the enclosures and the merchant classes turned on him through cromwell but it, it got to a stage in the war where it became clear that parliament had decided that they wanted to negotiate with the king and cromwell realized he couldn't allow that because once they started negotiating with the king uh the the king would turn on cromwell Right. So once the truth started to come out, Cromwell would probably have his head chopped off. So he had to act and he acted by his son-in-law, Henry Ireton, going into Parliament and arresting all of the pro-King MPs. And then they had a vote uh, in order to put the king on trial with the ones that were left. And uh, anyway, so that whole conspiracy... Uh, was written about 100 years later in France. And, I, and a friend of mine, Alex Thompson, who appears on UK Column from time to time, translated that for the first time into English, that section of the pamphlet. So that's kind of how it starts. But then there's a whole load of extracts of other things, including uh, Adam Weishaupt, the Illuminati uh, in the 17th, 17, late 1700s, and much more stuff and much more modern history, uh, which explain, I suppose, try, what I'm trying to do is just detail how it is this secret government operates and i put a whole load of evidence together uh all of which is is i think pretty 100 percent. you know where can people uh, get it t well, i mean i'll pick up a copy well, myself where can people get it uh well i mean it's the same as any book really you go on to bookfinder.com and you put it into there and uh, it should come i think it's uh on it may be not on amazon because amazon have been messing me around uh but it's i think on ebay i put i put the isbn into amazon and amazon said it's not valid you know so what are you talking about amazon they just i think they're just trying to block me but if you go into bookfinder.com it's the best place to go for books or it's uh, or it's available on ebay uh, that's um, sure that's worth the show that, that. 
um, occult government, hidden government. It's worth a show, mate. So I'll pick up a copy of it and I'll yeah. read it and we'll get you back on to have a chat about it. Uh, well, actually, obviously, I'll, I'll, no doubt. I'll, I'll pop, a re- pop a review copy in the post. Did you get a review copy of the previous one? I did. It's brilliant. I told you it's brilliant, oh, but you, but, but you okay, never got back okay. to me. Yeah, the Borman book. It's great. I've got it here in the okay. studio in my little library. You're, you're there with luminaries in my library yeah. now, T. No, it is, mate. It's terrific, the Borman book. We talked about it on the programme. Uh, so this new book, then, go to bookfinder.com and uh, support terrific independent journalism and journalists like Tony Gosling. Say something about the, uh, the these Google takedowns, the YouTube takedowns, because uh, you you pointed out last year, didn't you, from your leak that this was going to happen, and of yeah. course it has been happening. Some big channels have been taken Taking down. down yeah. um, there is a website. It's called takeout.google.com. Go in there. If you've got a YouTube channel, go to takeout.google.com and log in there. And you can download everything. It will. It, you press a few buttons, and it will email you a whole load of links to download zip files of everything you've got. So, is it any you know, good? It, is it any good after the fact, T? So, if your YouTube channel has been deleted, is can you still use that website to to grab your stuff? I don't. I don't think you can. No. So you need to do. It, you need to do it before you get deleted. Yeah, so you know, so it's basically a, a convenient, easy way to back your material up. Takeout.google.com. I did that, and I got something like forty different uh, zip files, each of about a gigabyte each. So it's quite a lot of stuff. But at least it's it's all there. I've got it. It's not all disappeared once it's been uh, it taken down. That's a uh, another bit little of info. quickie, if I'm allowed. Am I? Thirty seconds. You're some chance. Okay, Thirty seconds. Yeah, Prince, Prince Charles. I can't bear this guy. Uh, watching stuff, he, he's trying to do everything he can to sort of make out that he's all this Martin Bashir. We talked about that before. Trying to have a go at anybody that helped out Diana. Well, he really put his foot in it uh, this week because uh, there was a thing in the Express saying that he was one of his uh, aides was in a documentary saying, "Oh, he's he wishes the Queen would hurry up and abdicate so he can take over." Well, then apparently the Queen found out about this, and so she's on to him. How about putting your foot in it? I think Charles would make an absolute disaster uh, of a, a you know, especially having been involved in the in the uh, the demise of Diana. He really didn't like the fact that she. She was much more popular than she, than he was. She was about to marry um, uh, Alf- uh, Dodi Alfayed, a Muslim. Allegedly. She was also upsetting the um, the the uh, the landmine lobby, and I think he was definitely gave a nod to her murder. So the idea that you know he is going to be better to take. I I hope the Queen keeps going and keeps going as long as she possibly can. Uh, just keep him out the way, and maybe he'll disappear off to some sort of great reset land and become King of Switzerland. With any look, with any look, they'll all disappear off the face of the earth sometime soon and not just the UK royal family the Belgians the Dutch the Danes all of them all of these freeloaders I've got a problem with this because Because every now and again every now and again the feudal system kicks up somebody throws up somebody that gives a damn Richie the thing is with the Republican system is that anybody that does give a damn is weeded out you know they never get a chance to power so yeah. the feudal system is an old-fashioned way of doing things. You know, let's say maybe ninety percent of them are no good, but every now and again, someone pops up who they can't get rid of, who's really a decent person, and Diana was one of those. Maybe she was. I'm not sure about her going to marry Dodi Fayed, but that's another argument for another day. Love having you on, mate. You know, it's I, in the book. It's, I know it's, it's in, in the, the book. I know. I, I love having you on this week. The UK, the politics show, Fridays five o'clock. Tony Gosling. It's terrific, mate. As usual, thanks. We'll do it again in a few weeks. Cheers, T. 
Cheers, Richie. Thanks for your time today, buddy. Tony Gosling. Go to bookfinder.com uh, or bookfinder.co.uk, bookfinder.com to find the book. I'll get him on to talk about the book. I'll have a read of it. His books are very good. Tony Gosling, it's exactly five minutes past six o'clock. You are with the Richie Allen Radio Show, just in case you've stumbled across it on the TuneIn app. It's where more than 60% of our live listeners come to the programme, the famous TuneIn app. We've been on it. I've been on it since, um, well, since 2014. So go to TuneIn. If you've got it on your device, that's where it is, TuneIn. Programme is archived on Podomatic.com. That's where to go. Every ep, well, nearly every episode since day one is on there. It's on Spotify, it's on iTunes and lots of other places as well. It is Europe's most listened to independent radio show. That is not an idle boast. That's a fact. That is a fact, Jack. Didn't feel like it yesterday at five o'clock, though, with everybody watching the England game. We're going to talk uh, climate lockdowns with my next guest in about five minutes time. Don't miss that. This is the Doobie Brothers. Long train running. The Doobies, long train running on the Richie Allen Show, eight minutes past six o'clock, Wednesday's programme. Hi to Christine. How you doing, Christine? It's true, Tony, what he said about the 2018 flu season. I took the flu jab after giving in to pressure from my doctor, says Christine. I was so ill over Christmas with bronchitis, something I've never had in my life. It was dreadful. I swore I'd never take another jab in my life. Thank you, Christine. I remember being pressured myself in 2018 by my doctor in Fallowfield, bombarded with text messages. Come on, come on, Richie. Come on, come on. Have the flu jab. Come on, come on. And I just kept saying, no, no, no thanks. I don't want it. I, I might have been ill myself that winter, <laughs> as it happens, but not because of the jab. Not because of the jab. Hi to Nicola. Is it Nicola? If I got, is it Nicola? It's Nicola Rockliffe. How are you doing, Nicola? Richie, I've never listened to any show which mentioned the word politics till I heard Tony on your show. I think you might have meant to say you've never heard the term politics mentioned so often until Tony came on. That might be what you meant to say, but how do I know? I'm pretty brutal. Anyway, you can get to the programme through at the website and I will read these messages out when I get a chance. You can tweet to me as well. It's BBG Richie on Twitter. Love hearing from you. And I know I mentioned a phone-in show this week. Look, if we don't do one tomorrow, promise we'll do a phone-in early next week and we'll do... We'll do a good two hours where you get to come on and, and have your say, Dagnabbit. Can't sarn it. You hear what I'm telling you? You hear what I'm telling you? Lovely. Uh, my studio, by the way, is beautifully air-conditioned these days. I'm basking in the glow of cold air. As it's uh, otherwise, at any other time last year and the year before, I would have been sweltering. But not now. Not now at all. Let me just turn it off, actually, because it's blooming. It's blooming cold now. It's getting cold. Right, my next guest, I've been looking forward to speaking with him uh, since I saw him on television. He was on Fox News with Tucker Carlson, a programme which I check out as often as I can. I recommend you check it out as well. It's a bit mainstream light, but you will hear from some interesting men and women on a variety of topics, geopolitics, climate change, coronavirus, vaccination and more besides. He uh, runs, uh, first of all, he is a former advisor to the Republican Party. And uh, these days he runs a website that he founded. It's called climatedepot.com. I recommend you check it out. It's climatedepot.com. It's very, very good. It takes on the climate change religion and it provides you with alternative 
I won't say alternative facts, it provides you with facts which debunk much of the climate religious nonsense that we are subjected to uh, well, pretty much all the time these days. Over the years, he's taken part in many debates with some of these climate change scientists and they've been entertaining and very revealing. ClimateDepot.com, let's welcome to the programme Mark Morano. Mark, how are you and thanks for coming on. I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity to talk to you. That's brilliant. I saw you on Tucker and I'm very much interested in this subject. I've spoken to scientists over the years, the ones you don't hear on the legacy media, you know, the ones who say, well, no, there is no real evidence that CO2 made by man is going to change our climate, um, you know, to, to the extent that it's going to basically kill every one of us and end our time on Earth. So I was delighted to see you and, and also alarmed because last year, Mark, I'm not somebody now who is known for making accurate predictions. I'm not. But when we were in the midst of, I think, our second lockdown last year, I began to wonder, will those who are pushing the climate change narrative, will they advocate in the future that we use lockdowns to to help defeat climate change? And lo and behold, my friend, you have discovered evidence that they are indeed considering such um, ideas. Tell us more about that. Well, thank you, Richie. Yeah, I mean, not only have we discovered the evidence, we've discovered them boasting about it, them using the exact phrase, climate lockdown, them warning that the exact same thing is going to have to happen and be necessary in order to battle climate change. All right, well, first of all, as you mentioned, when COVID-19 hit, just a little history here, in no official public health playbook was there any kind of societal-wide lockdowns, stay-at-home order, curfews of healthy people, of asymptomatic healthy people. What happened was, very simply, the WHO, which is uh, dominated by you know, Chinese Communist Party propaganda, in January of 2020, when the China locked down Wuhan and released videos of people dropping dead in the streets and then the nails being hammered in, the WHO came out and said the world must follow China, that China had it right, that this was incredible. Fauci came out. Everyone praised China. So somehow that influenced the United States. It shouldn't have. We had Donald Trump as president, but even Trump fell to this. So we instituted these lockdowns. At first, climate activists, Richie, were horrified. Yeah. That, uh, jealousy. They were jealous. Why is all this happening? Why is the world suddenly doing all this now? We've been pr- clamoring for these solutions for decades. And then suddenly the climate activists, instead of being jealous, started to join the bandwagon. And that's what happened. They, they started praising these lockdowns as environmentally friendly, as great for the climate, and is exactly the kind of thing we need for climate change. Yeah, we saw that here in the UK as well. The Green Party, Friends of the Earth, were, were as I suppose, as vociferous supporters of lockdown uh, as anybody else. I didn't put two and two together back then. So horrified was I by uh, lockdown. And you're quite right, by the way. There is no... You look back through public health manuals, uh, books that recommend how to deal with viruses and pandemics. No no evidence that shows that, that, that any of these measures were ever considered before. Something else is going on, and we can talk about that as we go along. So tell us about these climate um, evangelists who are now talking about climate lockdowns. What sort of things might they be proposing in the near future, Mark? Well, I'll tell you exactly. One thing I just wanted to mention, though, 
the Speaker of the House of Commons, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, yeah. at the G7 meeting in 2020, had this to say. If one lesson from the pandemic is that taking serious action in a timely manner, shouldn't this also be true in terms of climate change? He said he was amazed at how, quote, compliant the public was. No one would ever imagine we'd all be wearing masks. We'd all be so compliant. And he's essentially saying tragedy is, uh, is unlike the pandemic. Climate crisis is not just an external threat when we have a clear hand. He is basically saying that we have to uh, propose to do the same exact proposals for climate that we did uh, for COVID-19. Now, you asked me specifically, what are they doing? Well, at Climate Depot, I have the full uh, the UK 2019 report called Absolute Zero. It's a UK government-funded report. They're urging in this report to, by 2050, stop flying altogether, no new roads, airport closures, stop eating beef and lamb, stop doing anything that causes emissions, prohibitions on carbon dioxide, similar to regulations on asbestos. Now, keep in mind, humans inhale oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide. Yeah. They want to treat human breath as though it's uh, asbestos. That's where we've come. And this is the UK-funded report by a consortium of universities and businesses that came out. And this was actually debated. I actually have a link to the House, I believe it's House of Lords, uh, transcript of the actual debate on this. And you'd be surprised at how many in the UK government were absolutely going along and taking this report seriously. You're very, UK, uh, you're yeah, very, you're very good at climatedepot.com, climatedepot, climatedepot.com. You're very good at putting the documentation on there, which is excellent. It's excellent for a guy like me, you know, because I'm supposed to be challenging you and given the opportunity, I will challenge you. But, but you put the documentation on there, which is great. And Lindsay Hoyle did say that which you attributed to him. But didn't US President Joe Biden not quite go as far as Lindsay Hoyle, but he did say something similar, didn't he, about, you know, learning the the lessons of how we have dealt with COVID and applied them to other crises, something like that. Yes, you never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and what Biden is there, his phrase is build back better. Uh, and of course, your, your uh, 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 Boris Johnson actually came out and said, we're going to build back in a more feminine way. I mean, whatever that means. But anyway, That's right, yeah. This is, they are just beside themselves. This is the greatest advance of government state power probably within our lifetimes. I, you know, I mean, my dad fought in World War II as allies with the British against uh, fascism, against uh, Germany and Italy and Japan. And I just when I think back to what they fought against, they were fighting against the very things our own government is imposing upon us today. So if we go back even further, Woodrow Wilson proposed the administrative state. The idea would be to remove uh, government regulations from the realm of politics. It would be done through an administrated, unelected bureaucracy. And that's exactly what COVID brought to us with the lockdowns. For the first time in our lifetimes, we were told by government, you can't leave the house. You have to be a certain curfew. You can only do essential services justified by government. When you go, you have to muzzle your face. You can't go to weddings, funerals. If you have too many people at a backyard barbecue, not only could police raid your home, but your neighbors can snitch on you and be rewarded. This was not a world in which we ever signed up for. This was not a world anyone voted for. This was a world in which politicians declared a viral emergency got it got emergency powers and never wanted to let him go. And the lockdowns continue. Even now, a year later, they're starting again in California, Israel. They're starting mask mandates and lockdowns. 
partial lockdowns because of new alleged variants. This was the greatest. In other words, climate change had failed for 50 plus years, going back to the 1970s global cooling scare. It had failed to scare the public. It had failed to create action to advance the the uh, the the, the bureaucratic state. But one scare of a virus with terror hype telling us we had to save grandma, to have uh, Chinese, Chinese videos of people dropping dead in the street and being told the only hope for our salvation was to have people hammer and lock our doors shut and we had to stay inside. This is what did it. And the climate activists, though they were jealous, then they wanted to copy. Now climate is going to be absorbed into this whole COVID-19. In other words, if we don't deal with climate change, we'll have more deadly viruses. Yeah. Viruses, viruses scared people. Climate never did. So here's the question, Mark. Here's the question. We've got Mark Morano on the line. Mark is the founder of um, uh, ClimateDepot.com. Do check it out, by the way. And ClimateDepot is the Twitter handle. So do follow Mark on Twitter. So is it a possibility then? Could it be argued, Mark, that the scam, because the, 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 the scam about COVID is is the lie about how dangerous it is for human beings. It might be dangerous for very old people who've got comorbidities, but it's pretty harmless for the rest of us. Is, is there any possibility that COVID was dreamt up, not dreamt up, right? Let's say it exists, but that it, it's basically the supporting act for, for, for the climate uh, change agenda. Is there a possibility that, it, that it's not a coincidence that it was meant to be like this? Well, it's a it's a great question. Now, first of all, just here's what here's what's interesting. It's not so much that it was cooked up to help the climate change agenda. The climate change agenda, in and of itself, is not about climate. It is about the progressive left trying to find a way to advance a essentially essentially planned super state of unelected bureaucrats ruling yeah. every aspect of your lives. They started this in the 1960s with the overpopulation scare. It continued in the 1970s with the Ice Age global cooling scare. I have a whole chapter on this in my book, Green Fraud. And then it continued in the 80s uh, with the deforestation and all these other environmental. Climate change is merely the latest environmental scare the last 50 years that essentially has the same exact solutions as all the previous environmental scares, which is sovereignty-limiting treaties, massive regulatory controls in every aspect of your life, wealth redistribution, massive government expansion. This is the plan. Climate was a means to an end. COVID is a means to an end. And here's how you know that, because lockdowns, not only were they never proposed for obvious reasons, they don't work. There's no way, they don't even work to suppress a virus in real time, let alone the collateral damage. And the collateral damage, of course, is people who have deferred cancer and heart treatments, Absolutely. higher infant mortality, depression, suicide, drug abuse. It is the, it is the most bonkers policy until you realize they're not designed to work. They're designed to collapse our system so that the World Economic Forum can come out in June of last year and announce how giddy they are, that this is the perfect time for a great reset of capitalism, that now is the time that as everything collapses. So this is why you have particularly the most progressive liberal, uh, I guess liberal means something different in the Europe there, but, but the most progressive far left politicians keeping the lockdowns as far as possible. The more you collapse small businesses, the better you're going to have a power base as you start out with universal basic income, COVID relief bills. You collapse the economy and you rebuild it in this centrally planned, technocratic, socialist, Marxist vision. And they are doing it. It's happening before our eyes. Lockdowns are the greatest transfer of wealth from poor middle class to the wealthy. 
billionaires gained as much as the middle class and, and poor lost. No uh, doubt. Almost the exact numbers. We could talk Bezos. This is an amazing thing. It is, it is indeed. Mark has got some very interesting books, right? Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. That's new. It's this year. Check it out. All good online booksellers, Amazon. And, and uh, he's also got a very interesting book out called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change. Let me argue. I love a good argument, Mark. I love a good argument. Let's have a good row, my friend. Listen, I have no time for the progressive left. I'm a socialist, Mark, but I'm a real socialist. I'm an old socialist, right? So my heroes are people like Salvador Allende, right? Simon Bolivar. These are my heroes. None of those men would have locked down their citizens for 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 a virus that doesn't do, you know, very much to the to the great majority of people. Yes, the social democrats today, you know, who claim to be socialists but they're not really. Yes, of course they're driving it. But Mark, let's be honest about it. The centre right or the right, particularly here in the UK and in my country Ireland. They're they're full fully on board with this crazy agenda too. Oh, absolutely, and I'm not here to I, I'm not here to be partisan at all in any way. I mean, in the United States, I harshly criticize President Trump. President Trump tanked his entire presidency, just shot it into the into the ether by allowing the CDC and World Health Organization to dictate his policy. The two weeks to flatten the curve flattened. Our civil liberties, our constitution, our freedoms, what was left of any free market economy yeah. in the United States. And the same as in Europe. I mean, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's in COVID-19 or what it is. But Boris Johnson, who was allegedly a man of the center right, gets the virus and turns into a fascist overnight. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. You know, I, again, I didn't see that in the side effects of COVID-19. But that's what happened. Ireland, one of the most oppressive uh, places in the world, you know, New Zealand, Australia. Who would have thought zero COVID is almost as frightening as absolute zero CO2? This yeah. is fascism. It's totalitarianism. There's no other name for it. This is what we're dealing with. And Republicans and Democrat, uh, Republicans, Democrats, center right are all just as bad. What I'm finding here is, and I'm working on a new book on the, it's called The Great Reset. I actually have a book coming out early next Paul's year. Paul's a great reset. Excellent. Good man. Her- Sounds good. Let me tell you who my, new, who my new heroes are. Naomi Wolf, a progressive feminist advisor to Bill Clinton and, and Al Gore. She has come out against the Great Reset. That's She's right. come out against tyranny and fascism. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a man who wanted to jail great climate man. skeptics at The Hague, is all is forgiven. He's come out against the lockdowns, against the mandatory vaccine passports. I, my new heroes are people like Bill Maher, the left-wing comedian in the United States, yeah, the progressive yeah. who, who has stood strong against the whole COVID lockdown. So the whole world is changing. I have no use for what used to be called center-right Republican conservatives. My new friends I'm embracing are on the uh, progressive left who are against the Great Reset. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the thing, you see. I've been doing programs like this since 2009. And I was a real political guy years ago. My politics was definitely on the left, but not any of this progressive nonsense, nothing like it. Um, you know, real socialists never wanted to tax... The, the the hell out of wealthy people. They never wanted to do that, real socialists. There's no evidence. I always say to my listeners, look at what Allende did in Chile. Look at what he did. He did not rob the rich or anything like it. The rich were better off under Allende than they were uh, under the previous uh, under the previous American-backed regimes. But we won't get into all of that. I've, I've got this theory. I believe that some of these agendas that we're seeing now, this totalitarian stuff, 
I believe it's been around for some time, this, this desire to do this to humanity. And it succeeded up to this point because of identity politics. Because intelligent people who should know or should have known better, people like me, people like you, we spent years bashing our heads against one another, um, thinking we were the enemy, on uh, dividing yeah, we, ourselves along. They had us in a lot of fake debates. Yes, you know, yes. Debates over flag burning, debates yeah. over the, all this silly stuff that yeah. was, you know, kabuki theatre, if you will, or, you know, bread and circus, just keeping well us into nonsense. You're absolutely right. That's, that's how I feel now. You know, I was speaking to, as an Irishman, I'm an Irish Republican, not, not, not a supporter of terrorism, of course not, but I'm a guy who believes in a united Ireland. And I've been interviewing a guy for many years called David Vance. David is a, a, a loyalist, he's a unionist, so he's in Northern Ireland and he wants to be part of the UK. So we've interviewed each other over the years, we've argued about stuff. Recently, David said to me, you know, I can't believe we argued over these things for years. We had an enemy in the shadows that we didn't realise was there and we've spent years arguing with, with with each other over things that are mostly insignificant. It's just something to ponder going forward. I will add this. I think our real enemy all this time, and I think the, I want to say that the, I hate to say the word far, but the left and the right had many commonalities in terms, you know, because the left was always about free speech, democracy, freedom, and the right was always about, you know, limited government and, uh, you know, and free markets. I think they could get along. The problem is the establishment, for lack of a better word. So you had Republicans and Democrats, the leadership class, the ruling class, uh, academia, the establishment media. They're the ones who ruled and they would pay lip service as needed to the to, uh, you know, to the uh, grassroots just to get elected. And so I think finally. Uh, you know, conservative. I think that's what really Donald Trump's presidency showed a lot of people. As wacky as Donald Trump was, and he had a lot of personality quirks and a lot of people, he turned people off. I love the guy uh, because he was just a disruptor. He came in, he was an accident of history, the first American president ever who was never elected to office or served in the military. Uh, there was no other president in all the 44 presidents that preceded him that was ever like that. He was an accident of history, never meant to get in. I don't think the establishment expected him to win. And, of course, they made sure he didn't win re-election, too. But this is – I think there's a wake-up call. So the hope for this, before we get off ourselves and start gouging our eyes out, the hope is once people are aware – I think they're becoming aware – of the critical race theory, of the racism that people are trying to embed yeah, in our children. Yeah, yeah. They're becoming aware of the wackiness and the wokeness agenda in corporate America and the media. And I think once you're aware, you can start, you know, we can start making adjustments and fighting the right enemy and not fighting each other. Brilliantly said. And, and I think a lot of this critical race theory and constantly, I think we as a people are constantly being told by the media and by politicians that we are worthless awful, hateful people. And I think it's part of another agenda to break us down mentally until eventually we start to believe that we are hateful and homophobic and transphobic. None of which is true, by the way. But it's, uh, you know, maybe it plays into this agenda. Let me ask you, before, because um, I'm mindful of time because we've probably got 15 more minutes, 20 minutes, with your permission. I'm loving this conversation. Mark Morano is our guest. He's an author and he's the man behind climatedepot.com. Do check it out. Do you believe, Mark, because I don't, I, I kind of believe this, but I don't want to believe it, but the likes of Klaus Schwab and his pals, do you think they really want to destroy the global economy? 
and to 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 then somehow tell all of us kind of lowly people, we will forgive all of your debt, you will own nothing, and we will give you a universal basic income. Do you believe that's possible? Do you, do you believe that there are such plans and, and that we've really got to be aware of that sort of thing? Well, I mean, there's not only such plans, they're well laid out and they've been out there for decades. There's a whole movement before the COVID lockdowns called the degrowth movement. And I've interviewed people. I go to every United Nations climate summit. I've interviewed Kevin Anderson from you, from your country. The, well, I guess you're from Ireland, but the UK. Yeah. Oh, we've lost Mark momentarily. Uh, that's a shame. Let's try and get him back. This is fascinating stuff. Uh, we're on hold. Let me just, uh, del- del- not delete the call, but exit the call and get straight back in there. Mark Morano, a climate change, well, he's more than a climate change sceptic. Climate Depot or climatedepot.com is his website. He's on Twitter, at Climate Depot, at Climate Depot. You will have seen me tweet him today. Mark, thank God you're back. We lost you momentarily. You were, to- you were talking about Kevin Anderson and, and an interview you had with him. I, he, he argued at United Nations Climate Summits for planned recession. Calls on hold again. There's devilment afoot here. There's devilment afoot. I don't know what's going on. I might take a tune and see if can be sorted out because I probably have a backup number for Mark as well. Let's see, can we get him back? No, we can't get him back momentarily. We're talking about the climate change. Um, what I've come to believe is a hoax. I've said it many times on radio programmes over the years. Is he back? No, he's not back. Let's take a very quick tune. I have no idea what's in the player, but uh, hopefully it'll be something. Uh, Yeah, we've got the clash. We'll be trying to sort Mark out. Hang on, he's back. He's back in the room. Mark, you're back. Sorry about that. The call keeps dropping out. Go ahead. Okay. One of the things I ask people about uh, in terms of, you know, whether you believe these people want to have, you know, they want to destroy the economy. Here's a simple Think back 20, 30, 40 years ago, the political left, the progressives, always railed against big business, against uh, you know, all, all the, the, tune, the wealth inequities, etc. But now you don't hear that so much. Why? Because the progressive left is running big business. There's not a corporate board in America that doesn't cower in fear at the woke progressive agenda. And that includes professional sports organizations. That includes, uh, you know, chain restaurants. That includes uh, massive manufacturing. That includes just about everyone you can think of. They And so the World Economic Forum approaches this as it's going to be a consolidation of wealth and power by people who know better. In other words, think back to either climate or COVID. I can go back to the 1970s and show you that President Obama's former science advisor, John Holdren, lamented that people could get in their car, drive to a supermarket, get a six-pack of beer, and drive home. He thought that was wasting the Earth's resources. They should not be allowed to do it. Well, fast forward 40 years. There's talk now under these climate lockdowns of part of the UK abolishing private car ownership, giving us rental roving fleets of electric cars. In other words, experts know they've studied this for decades. They have credentials. They have degrees. They have been in academia. They've done studies. They know what's best for the earth. They can't allow us to destroy it. That's why every aspect of our life, from our thermostat to our appliances, to our right to travel, to our right to have children, to our right to gather, assemble, to our right to speak. We're not allowed to speak freely because if we give misinformation, that could harm the earth, that could harm virus transmission, that could harm you know, uh, racism efforts. So they have to control our speech 
essentially, this is George Orwell on steroids. George Orwell never envisioned the level of technological advancement. I mean, he was pretty darn good in the 1940s to come up with 1984 in his book, but he didn't, he didn't think we'd come this far technologically, and it's being used. So this is what we're dealing with. And keep in mind, when it comes to COVID, why does a mother and father have to keep their kid home from school? Because experts, public health experts, decreed it. The science, which they talk about, changes on the whim of some mid-level bureaucrat. If a mid-level bureaucrat announces that masks could save 10,000 lives and therefore we must all wear them or face penalty, then suddenly that's the science. YouTube, Google, if you say anything against it, you're going to be banned because you're against that day's consensus. They're not fact checkers. They're consensus enforcers because it's whatever the government bureaucrat believes that day. And we know it changes day by day, both in the UK, Ireland, the US, CDC. Right now, the CDC is not recommending masks. The World Health is, hey, pick your the science in order to follow. We are we are facing a disaster of epic proportions for human liberty because right now we are going to be we are facing rule by unelected experts over every aspect of our lives for our own good and that is the most frightening thing when anyone rules over you for your own good yeah and the politicians are saying we're following the science we're following the science don't blame us here's a question for you you made an you made an excellent point there a moment ago about the arbitrary nature of the restrictions how how little sense they made to the point that they were ridiculous you know um one meter apart stay two meters apart nonsense we know that a sneeze or a cough travels 25 feet at least we know that uh, at the beginning of the nonsense they said that masks are totally ineffective don't wear masks then a few weeks later, they said wear masks. It's garbage. Why do you think, Mark, that people didn't cotton on to the arbitrary, silly, childish, almost childlike nature of these restrictions that seem to contradict one another? Why have they continued to comply? Why? I, I don't. I can't understand this. Well, a part of it is this idea that these are experts. And what you'll find, and I, I've been banned from, we have a thing in the United States called the Next Door app. I was promptly banned during the lockdowns we had because I got on there and I started talking about how you can evade mask mandates, how you can avoid the lockdowns. I was telling people to travel. To, like I was telling them where the illegal speakeasies were that you could go. <laughs> so I immediately violated the community standards and I was literally banned several times on this app. I would try to restart and get banned again i'd have everyone you know snitching me and complaining and then i would be banned within hours so the reason they complied is because in america and in europe we defer to experts instinctively in other words like i said if someone has studied something and they come out it's in fact these are doctors they're in white lab, i call it white lab coat mm. dictatorship it's a white lab coat dictatorship if they come out and say we've decreed that your children, like in Spain, kids weren't allowed to leave the home for like, I think it was like six weeks. They were inside the home. You're not allowed to go outside. You can't go to the park. If you do go, you had to wear a mask. But they recommended two, three, some doctors, four masks. Yeah, Even that's right. NBC in the U.S. reported that the CDC said, if you go to a gym and you take a shower, don't take your mask off in the shower. Only take it off when you wet your face. Oh in other God. words, this was the advice. In L.A., to this moment, uh, to this moment right now, they're actually a recommendation for outdoor drive-in movie theaters. They're banning double features because of risk of a viral transmission. Now, keep in mind, in an outdoor theater, you're in a car by yourself. You know, so they don't want you to stay for two movies because then you could, you could cause a viral outbreak of COVID-19. 
this is just pure madness. One of my heroes, by the way, is Peter Hitchens on this lockdown. And Lord, uh, I think his name is Sumter, the former UK. Jonathan Sumption. Yeah, Supreme Court Justice Jonathan Sumption. Yeah. I mean, it is just, so this is what we're facing. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dictatorship that's worse than a, than a, just a, your average run-of-the-mill tyranny because they're doing it for your own good. And so their torment knows no end. This is crazy stuff. Mark Morano is our guest. I've got a couple of more questions. If you can stick around for five or six more minutes, Mark, I'd appreciate that. You mightn't have expected to be on so long, but uh, this is not the mainstream media. We like to chat to people for more than seven or eight minutes, and it's really, it's been very educational having you on the programme today. Mark has written some very interesting books, including this year, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. Check that out, 2021. Look him up at climatedepo.com. Um, my, my great friend Spiro Skouras, who's a journalist, uh, sent me some information. Um, US service members, the military has been, you know, surveying or, or, or polling its members. And they have found higher than expected rates of heart inflammation following uh, receipt of COVID-19 vaccines. This is all true. It's on military.com. It was a good catch by Spiro. What will it take, Mark? How many people would it take to die or to get seriously injured before somebody in one of our governments says, enough is enough, we've got to suspend this so-called vaccine rollout? What will it take? Well, it's going to take a lot because they're all invested in this. Now, here, <coughs> a couple of things. I have no intention and will not get the COVID-19 vaccine. Why? I've never really been what you'd call an anti-vaxxer. My kids have been vaccinated. I'd never really... You know, I, I always thought, well, avoid unnecessary and maybe a few were questionable or unnecessary. But because of the way I saw that they lied to us about the threats from COVID-19, about the alleged solutions from lock, ma- mask mandates to lockdowns to stay at home, to I have zero trust in public health bureaucracy. They treat us like idiot children who need to be uh, essentially need to just be told what to do, shut up and sit in the corner. So there is no chance I would trust anyone. Uh, recommending a COVID. The further other thing, the reason not to trust the COVID-19 vaccine is the vaccine immunity passports that they're proposing. Now, Europe, I believe it's still on. I love the way that in Europe, you, you won't be able to travel. If you don't have it, of course, oh, you, you'll still be able to travel, but you're subject to local quarantine and mask mandate right. rules and other restrictions. So they're essentially taking away your freedom of movement unless you get the jab. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to take a lot because it's all about reporting. Now, keep in mind, when the vaccine came out, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, it's so effective. Immediately, the World Health Organization changed the testing um, dynamics for the COVID-19 test so you'd have much less positive test results. So immediately, it looked like the vaccine was working. Well, just this past week, uh, you have Israel now recommending masks or bringing back mask mandates, elements of lockdowns. Why? Because the new variant is out of control. Well, this was the most vaccinated country on Earth. So the vaccine, I'm convinced, hasn't even had an impact on case numbers, which, by the way, case numbers, the whole thing, you can't even have an intelligent conversation about this because everything you've been told is either a fraud, mislead, or just completely designed to deceive you. The idea of case numbers in the first place, this many, how many people know, well, let's get you tested for flu, I I feel fine. Oh, we're still gonna keep a case count. They don't go around for the flu. And by the way, flu and pneumonia have disappeared. Everything is designed to be a lobbying campaign for public health expansion, public health to keep this thing going because this is what they've desired. This is exciting. This is exactly what they wanted. Um, You have 
the blue states here in the United States, Democratic governors, literally don't want to give this up because the longer they go, the more federal aid they get. Then they get to they write out more universal basic income to all the people they put out of work. More people dependent on government equals more people voting for them, a larger power base. Republicans are clueless on this. Uh, but but your Republican governors, this is a good point, but Republican governors, particularly Florida and elsewhere, they're saying yeah. to hell with this. We're, we're fed up with this. We're tired of it. And they want to get back to normal. A few that stand out, Florida's DeSantis, South mm. Dakota. I don't even give Texas that high a marks. I mean, he was sort of – he was a very timid governor, uh, Abbott in Texas. He came around finally after others led his way. And many other Republicans followed suit, but they weren't the leaders. We only have a few great ones who stood up to this. I knew in March 2020 – I have video interviews with me for an hour uh, railing against the idea of a lockdown against trusting CDC. I – in my whole in my book, by the way, which is coming out February 2022, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent lockdown. It's available on Amazon for pre-order if you want to order your book seven months early. But anyway, I, I, I did a, a, whole, a whole history of the CDC, uh, of, the, of the World Health Organization, the largest single donor to the World Health Organization. Who do you think it might be? Let's give a quiz. Well, it's Bill Gates, Bill isn't it? Gates. Yeah, it's, it's Gates. Bill yeah. Gates. Yeah, yeah. So this is Bill Gates, China, embroiled in with the CDC, World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, this is how it works. So they're, the, the global elites, which sounds kind of you know uh, corny to say, but this is what they've come up with. And they, in fact, I, I detail in the book how 2010 Rockefeller Foundation did a simulation of viruses, and they talked about shutting down, you know, uh, the whole mask mandates and and lockdowns in 2018. 2018. Yeah, no, 2019, I think it was the John Hopkins and the World Economic Forum did another one, simulated same exact thing with the same thing, including bans on social media, shutting off the internet globally was one of the things that they did in these simulations. They were ready for COVID-19. I'm not saying it was pre-planned. Obviously, it probably came from the lab, but they capitalized. You never let a crisis go to waste. They capitalized. And in the book, I present the three Great, three great plans by the three powers that be behind the scenes and how they were prepared to handle the next pandemic. And they followed it, the script, to a T. To a T. Well said, by the way, about 2010. Well said. That documentation is there. I've shared that online. Uh, th- th- down to the letter, they were planning lockdowns and completely shutting down society to deal with pandemics. Are we, this is where we get into the realms of conspiracy theory. I've had some very learned guests on this programme, academics now, you know, working at some very, very well-known universities. They, they, They are beginning to wonder if there's a depopulation aspect to this. So let me ask you. Um, a very good friend of mine, Gareth Ike, recently said on his Twitter handle, he said he believes that we're the carbon that they want to reduce to zero. We the people. Do, do, well, keep in mind, a UK government-funded report went to treat carbon dioxide, which humans exhale from our mouth, as asbestos regulation, same regulations asbestos gets. Start to wonder, and this also goes to the same fact, never take uh, health advice from people who think the world is overpopulated, because you have to wonder what their agenda is. And yeah. This is, of course, all the people who are pushing the vaccine on you all believe this generally. Let me ask you on that before we part company for today. And it was great having you on, by the way, Mark. I've loved the conversation. I must ask you, you don't have to answer this, of course. 
you're not going to have the jab. I know that the UK government is is going to listen to the JCVI, which is the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. It is going to recommend that children are given a COVID jab. And one of the reasons it will give, it's going to say that children are getting the jab in the United States. Children are getting the Pfizer jab and it seems to be going well there. Are you coming in, coming on, I mean, I don't know how old your children are, but are people coming under pressure in your part of the world to give a vaccine to their children? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you can't even go now to concerts, Broadway shows. Bruce Springsteen just was in Broadway. I know, only I know. If you could only go if you were fully vaccinated. And otherwise, I believe you had to, either you weren't allowed or you had to wear masks and do all other kinds of regulations. But no, we're having problems here with uh, myocarditis, heart inflammation. This isn't a, a vaccine that was emergency use authorization. The humans are the guinea pigs in this. This was rushed to market because of the alleged grave threat from COVID-19. I go with the epidemiologists who say we would not even have noticed this virus had had they not announced it. In other words, we just thought it was a really bad flu season since it tended to kill uh, only the most sick, vulnerable or very old anyway. And because flu and, and uh, flu and um, pneumonia deaths literally disappeared from the ledger. Yeah. And if you look at the overall mortality rates on five year, you never look at year to year because you can always have one low year, one high year. Five-year averages, no difference. Sweden, had, which did not lock down, had no different averages from the rest of Europe. Yeah, maybe their Nordic neighbors had slightly lower, but that's only looking at short-term. We'll see the longer-term when you're looking at heart disease, cancer. They're expecting a cancer bomb in a few years from a whole year of deferred cancer screening. So this is it's just a madness in which we live. And here's the thing I mentioned earlier. Climate was failing. It failed because it was seen as a partisan issue and people just didn't care. It was hard to sell melting ice caps or polar bears or sea level, especially if you don't live near the sea seas and you don't you'll see polar bears. But a virus scared the hell out of just about everyone. You have relatives, you have your own health concern, your children. And so they were able to do it. And that fear that they instilled, by the way, the fear that they instilled went the exact opposite of every health recommendation before. You want to keep the public calm. And in an orderly fashion, instead, they went straight for the fear yeah. and terrified everyone of Spanish flu, too. None of that came true. Uh, and then, of course, they talk about these death tolls. People die every day. If you start putting this on, I, I detail in the book how gunshot victims were uh, listed as COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. And the climate activists, I'll end on this. Climate activists so excited, they want to add climate change to death certificates as a cause of death now. Bill Gates says the death toll from climate will far exceed any virus. This is the madness in which we come. We're going to have daily de death toll from climate change. Uh, and they're now saying if you die in a car accident, cancer, or um, uh, organ failure, you could be listed as a climate change death because, hey, don't you know climate makes cancer and organ failure worse, and it also makes fatal car accidents worse. This is madness, but the public health bureaucracy will get away with it because people aren't experts. And we, who are we to challenge someone yeah. with that many years of schooling? We're, you know, we don't have their credentials. We have to defer to the experts. By the way, the climate change going on death certificates, in case somebody listening thinks that Mark has lost his mind, he hasn't. The BBC, the BBC has reported this. 30 seconds, very quick, cheeky final question. Will they go too far? Will they overshow their hand? And will that um, wake up enough people to say, no, we don't comply? What do you think? Briefly. Well, they, 
very good at not. Here's what they do. They take three steps forward and one step back, maybe sometimes two steps, but they never take three steps back. Even the World Health, uh, for, even the World Economic Forum has had a big splash with the Great Reset. The video you referenced, by the way, You'll Own Nothing and Be Happy, was officially pulled from the World Economic Forum's website. They were embarrassed. They had blowback. So they, they know just enough when to push it, but each time they do it, they advance, advance, advance. I'll end with this C.S. Lewis quote, which I feature in my book. Of all the tyrannies sincerely, sincerely expressed for the good uh, 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 for the uh, good of its victims, maybe uh, a tyranny sincerely expressed exercise for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It'd be better to live under robber barons than in, than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber barons' cruelty may sometimes sleep. Uh, and be satiated, but those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. And this is where you get people telling you, put a mask on your kid, give your kid the jab, it's for their own good, it's for your own good, it's protecting your grandmother and my grandmother. This is the world. You're an immoral person if you don't go along with the lockdowns, the mask mandates, and the Great Reset and all of the stuff they're throwing at us. I actually advocate, and I'll say something illegal here on your show. I advocate people getting fake vaccine certificates. When you're dealing with a fraudulent system that is a tyrannical and taking away your rights, I'd have zero qualms legally, morally, or ethically in coming up with a fake certificate in order by which to fly unfettered if it came to that. Me as well, So man. there you have Me as well. I just advocate Oh, there you go. Folks, go to climatepo.com, and the latest book, there is a book coming out in 2022 uh, called The Great Reset, but green fraud, why the Green New Deal uh, is even worse. Uh, how, how does that go? I've got it. It's even worse than, uh, than you think. That's right. Green fraud, why the Green New Deal is even worse than you think. You'll get that at all good online uh, book retailers. Oh, Mark, it was a pleasure. Oh, whole chapter in the book on Europe's uh, flirting with the climate agenda and the Green New Deal. It's not going well for you guys. Uh, and the reason the Green New Deal is worse than we think is because COVID lockdowns have empowered the climate agenda in ways they never even thought possible a year ago. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I'm sure we'll catch up again in the near future. Thanks, Mark. Great to have thank you. Thank you, Richie. Bye for now. Mark Morano, live on the line from uh, New York State this afternoon. Uh, it's afternoon for him. It's seven minutes to the top of the air. The Richie Allen Radio Show, live, of course, from Salford, as it always is, from Richie Allen Show Towers. That's, that's what it's called. That's, that's the sign on the front door there. An enormous amount of tweets came in during that. Uh, I wasn't going to stop him uh, to read them, but thanks for them. John tweets, they already went too far. But nobody's seeing it. It really is madness, says John. Uh, Faisal says, the thing is that people living near the sea did not see any rise in sea levels, even in the Maldives, which should have been underwater long ago. That's an excellent point. That's quite right. Mark was making the point that people in the cities, it didn't mean anything to them. He's right. There is evidence to support that. But Faisal, you're quite right. People living in coastal areas did not see any rise in sea levels. But even though we saw, we reported on some bizarre things, didn't we, in the last couple of years, even before the COVID scam, didn't we report on the decommission, decommissioning of a coastal town in Wales? I do remember. I do remember that. They decommissioned a town in Wales 
that they will be taking apart over the next 10 years because allegedly the, the, the village will be reclaimed by the sea sometime around 2050. It's insane, patently. Hi to my great friend Patricia in Zurich who says, Richie, masks are just a physical presence that convinces uninformed people that the pandemic is still alive and well. Now we've got variants. Definitely keep masks. Be afraid. Be very afraid. You will only be saved if you get the jab. Marching on to the new normal. And so many believe. So many do believe. Uh, you're right, of course, Patricia. Will they overstep the mark, though? Will could, could, could they do something? Is there something they might do in the next six months, eight months, 12 months that will convince people? I know that many listeners to this programme believe that those who've had the jabs, some of those will become unwell over the course of the winter. And the variants will be blamed. Not the vaccines, the variants. Will enough people see through it at that stage? I don't know. I, I can only hope, really. I can only hope. Although a part of me, and I have said this to you over the last few months and even late last year, a part of me has reconciled with it. A part of me has come to kind of accept it, that I'll be leading, and, and the, 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 my other half, my better half, that we'll be leading some parallel life alongside those that have been swept up in this agenda. I don't know. Elizabeth in Spain. Richie, Spain was in hard lockdown, including kids at home for three months. And after that, playgrounds, parks, public benches were off limit for months after, after <coughs> excuse me, after that. It's insane. And I've heard from people in Spain in the last couple of days who have told me that mask mandates for people outdoors have ended. So until very recently, people were expected to wear masks even while outside in Spain. In fact, Elizabeth came on the phone-in show to tell us about that. Now, many, many areas in Spain have ended the outdoor mask-wearing mandate, and yet people continue to wear them. And of course, this is the thing to watch as well as we progress into the next few weeks and months, right? Because they're going to say on July 19th, right, we're removing all of these restrictions, that's what they're going to say, but they don't really mean it. Things will look on the up and up maybe for a few weeks or until we get into the autumn and they start recommending again, you know. As we get into the autumn, we recommend that you wear masks on buses and that you wear them on planes and trains and so on, so on, so on. Look, that's um, nearly about it for the programme today. Thanks uh, so much to... Tony Gosling. Do check Tony's programme out if you get a chance. It's broadcast from Bristol every Friday at five o'clock. As Tony says, it goes on for hours. It isn't dull. Nothing remotely like dull. Thisweek.org.uk. Check it out. I've known Tony for many, many years. An excellent guy and considers all, all points, considers all sides of an argument. He'll hear anybody will Tony, which is why I like him uh, a lot. A lot of you came on to say you've not been taken in by this climate change thing. Uh, good for you. A um, number of you came on to say that you didn't agree with Mark's stance on Trump being a genuine maverick. Listen, there's no point in me stopping Mark and arguing with him. How many times have I spoken about Donald Trump and what I think about Donald Trump? And, and why I feel that Trump was more than just a useful idiot for the agenda. Right? There's no point. You've heard me echo your points of view on Trump in the past. There's no need for me to keep doing it. I think guys like Mark Morano, very, very smart guys, 
David Vance, whom I spoke with only a couple of weeks back, they're beginning to see it now. Not because I'm any, you know, in any way more intelligent than them, I'm not. But they're now beginning to see it that it's two cheeks of the same arse. It's an illusion. Democracy is an illusion. And no president in recent memory, in recent times, no prime minister, no government, ever did anything but serve the elite. It certainly never served the people that allegedly elected it to the office or to the offices that, 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 that they held. Right? A lot of people are seeing through that now. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's something to take heart in. Thanks to Tony. Thanks to Mark Morano. ClimateDepot.com is his website. Check him out. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. See you tomorrow. Bye now. It's not-